Amen. You may be seated, and I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2. The title of the message this morning will be Living Stones and Spiritual Sacrifices. Living Stones and Spiritual Sacrifices. Our text for this morning will be chapter 2 and verse 5 and also verses 9 and 10. We've already looked at verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8 in our previous message, but we're going to go back to this text and look specifically at verse 5, verse 9, and verse 10. So I want to read, starting in verse 1 through verse 10, to get the context of our passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The great God of all the universe, our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for all your gifts. We thank you for all your blessings upon us in our lives. We thank you for the absolute privilege and honor of coming here and, and, and entering into your house among your people and through your spirit to be able to offer up praises to your holy name. Thank you for giving us eyes of faith and a heart to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And that all of our hopes, our eternal life is only possible through him. We thank you for your word which you have given us that once again we can look to today to find encouragement, to find strength, to find identity, to find direction, to find hope. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning in the lives of your people. May your spirit be here and may your spirit work through these words. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine that you were kicked out of your home. Imagine that you were forced to leave. You and your family. Imagine that your house and your whole property were burned to the ground. And you were forced to leave not only your home, but the country that you live in. Imagine that you were kicked out of the United States. And you were chased over into Mexico or into Canada or some other country. You and your family, you have nothing except for a new place. You know no one. You're having to live in a new place. You don't have the freedoms that you once had. You don't have the comfortability of that you once had. You no longer have a place to really call your home. You're living 
as a stranger and as a pilgrim in a foreign land. Imagine that. How would that make you feel? What emotions are stirred up in you as you contemplate that? As Daniel said, or as Logan prayed, I believe it was, we have wonderful freedoms here in the country and that we live in. Freedom, freedoms that we often take for granted. Freedom to come here this morning and to be able to worship the Lord. Freedom to own property. Freedom to own vehicles to be able to drive here. Freedom to go in and out as we please and then be able to go back home. And freedom to be able to go get any kind of food or drink that we want. Freedom to be able to have a job to provide for our families. But what if all that is taken away? And you, don't, you no longer have the freedom that you once have enjoyed. Well, if you can imagine that, and if you can fathom that, then you're living in the shoes, you're living in the sandals of the feet that Peter, through the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to. Been kicked out of their homes, been kicked out of Jerusalem. They're living in a Roman culture, away from what they grew up in. Saints scattered abroad, Asia, living in the midst of a godless pagan culture with pagan practices all around them. But they love Jesus Christ. They love Jesus Christ and they're followers of him. And they've been called to serve him faithfully, even in the midst of this pagan culture, even in the midst of their freedoms being taken away. And not only that, they're being blamed for things that they did not do. They're being convicted of things that they're not guilty of. And they're being persecuted for it. And they're being sought after for it. And they're being put in prison for it. And yet they're being called to love Christ. And to love one another. And to love their enemies. And to faithfully serve as best they can the king. And so, we don't know if this will happen to us in our generation. We don't know if it will happen to our children in their generation. But we ought to be prepared and we ought to equip ourselves that one day this may happen to us. And we ought to prepare ourselves spiritually and physically now to say that if that were to happen, I want to make sure that I was paying heed to what your word was saying here in First Peter and in other places in Scripture. And so if you were in that situation and you can fathom that and how awful that would be, imagine what joy and comfort it would give you to receive a letter of encouragement. To, to receive a letter from one who was back home. And what if this letter encouraged you that even though you're living in the midst of a pagan culture, even though you're being persecuted for your faith, what if this letter said you can still have hope even in the midst of this? And this is how. It's by knowing who you are in Christ. It's by owning that identity. And it's by living out the Christian life. It's living out a life of faith. No matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you're living in, no matter what else the culture is doing, you're, if the culture is going against God and against his word, you are countercultural, and you live according to the word of God. I think that would bring great encouragement to you and inspire you to live a life even in the midst of persecution and suffering and so that's really the context of first peter these people are being persecuted for their faith they're suffering the trial they're going through the trial of their faith they're going through great suffering because of their faith in the lord jesus christ and peter writes to them and he says be encouraged have hope because your identity is not Tied up in that you are American. Your identity is not tied up in being a southerner. Your identity is not tied up in, in 
the work that you do, if that's taken away, that doesn't mean that your whole life comes crashing down. That's just a part of who you are. But he, he, he starts out and he reminds them, yes, you have been removed from your home. Yes, you're living in the midst of a pagan culture. Yes, you're suffering persecution. But you have been chosen by God. You have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. And your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Therefore, you can have hope. Because he has secured for you an eternal home in the heavens. So no matter what is taken away from you in this life, you have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that fades not, and that's reserved in heaven for you. That'd be encouraging. That would be encouraging. You could continue to live out the rest of your days with that hope and in faith, knowing that you can honor God now, in the way that you continue to live in the midst of this culture and through the suffering, you can bring great glory to him and you can rest in assured that you have a, an eternal home that you are going to and that will be much more glorious and far just uncomparable to what you're living in now. And so we've talked about those things in chapter 1. And so he said, if this is the case, if you have this foundation that you're... Identity is in the work of the Trinity. That you've been given this gift of faith and hope to trust in Christ, even through suffering, realizing that even he's going to use your suffering to draw you closer to him and mold you more into this image. Then this leads to a life of single-mindedness. It leads to a life of holiness. It leads to a life of submission to the word of God. And that's what we see in their lives. That's what he says. Because of what Christ has done, because of what God the Father has done, and because you are in union with him, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and be vigilant, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is your hope in? It needs to be in Christ and in God and in the reality of your eternal home. And he says what this leads to is a life of holiness. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so you will live a life of holiness and in reverential fear of God as you realize the gospel message and what he has done for you. And you will understand that this is all possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ the perfect sacrifice of Christ and the intercessory work of Jesus Christ as he stands at the right hand of the Father for you. And we see that this holiness leads to a life of purity. It leads to a life of fervent love for one another as we serve him faithfully in our lives. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Because we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the eternal and living and powerful Word of God. And this is the gospel. This is the good news which is preached unto you. Wherefore, he says, what should we do in light of this? Lay aside all anger. Lay aside all malice. Lay aside all envy. Lay aside all evil speakings. We want to put away anything from us that will prevent us from serving God faithfully. So he just names a few here. And so that's what we're to lay aside. But what are we to put on? And what are we to hunger? And what are we to thirst for? He says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. You want to grow in your faith and your hope and your trust. And the way that you do that is by laying aside sin first. And secondly, feasting on the eternal and powerful word of God which will equip you and strengthen you and help you to grow in spending time in prayer and devotion to the Lord. And you will do this, he says, if you have tasted 
of the graciousness of the Lord. Have you tasted of the graciousness of the Lord? Have, have you tasted of the sweetness of his love and of his mercy and of his grace? He says, if you have, you will desire the sincere milk of the word. You will desire growth. You will desire sanctification. You will desire to become more like Jesus Christ in your life. And what happens, he says, when we desire the sincere milk of the word and when we lay aside sin in our life, he says, you'll come to Christ, right? To whom coming as unto a living stone. And we saw last time that this living stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock of our salvation. He is our he is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our stability. He is the foundation upon which our lives are built. He's the foundation upon which our salvation rests. He is the living stone. He is the rejected stone by the world. But he is the precious stone to us who believe. He is the chosen stone by God the Father. He is elect and precious in the eyes of his Father. And he is elect and precious in our eyes. He is the cornerstone. He is the the stone that holds everything together and upon which everything else is built. And the wonderful message for you today is that if you are coming to Christ in this way, if you are feasting on his word, if you're laying aside all evil in your life that keeps you from coming to him daily, then it says you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and that you have the ability to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are going to be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You have a spiritual union with Christ that overflows into your life in what you do, in what you say, in what you think. So what happens to believers when they come into contact with Jesus, the living stone? And he just lays it out for us, and he's real plain about it. And this is our proposition for this morning. When you come to the living stone, when you come to Christ daily, you will live a life that first pleases God and that secondly is able to offer up daily sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God for the glory of God. And so we see that in our text. Number one, you are lively stones, a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. Number two, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. And thirdly, you are called, called, called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to show forth his praises. So number one, you are lively stones, a spiritual house, and a holy priesthood. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. This is what everything has been flowing toward to what he's saying. Why has he been saying the things that he's been saying? It's so that you can realize who you are and you can realize his calling upon your life. Two things that we see today. If you don't get anything else, please get this. Number one, he shows you your identity in Christ. And then secondly, he calls you to own your identity in Christ. If you don't get anything else, please remember those two things. Because I think that's one of the main themes of Peter. To show you your identity in Christ. And for you to own that identity. He says, you are, ye also are lively stones. You're a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. Where does this come from? Jesus is the living stone, therefore you're living stones. Jesus is the great high priest, therefore you are a holy priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. Jesus is the foundation stone, therefore ye are lively stones. 
When you come to Christ, you are transformed into his likeness. There's no coming to Christ and not being transformed into his likeness. If you're not being transformed into the likeness of Christ, you haven't come to him. Ephesians, I mean, Romans 8.29 tells us, For whom he did foreknow, that means he loved them beforehand and he chose them, whom he loved before the world began, he also predestinated, that's predetermined, them to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the whole purpose of your salvation, is to be changed from your image into the image of Christ. The fallen image that you're born with into the perfect likeness of Jesus Christ. So just like Jesus, he says, you are living stones. Just as Jesus is the living stone, you also are living stones. You are alive, brothers and sisters. You're not dead stones this morning here worshiping God in some kind of dead form. You are alive spiritually. You have life-giving spirit in your heart and in your soul. And that life-giving spirit is to be drawn out in worship because you are a living stone. You are no longer dead stones. Before Christ, we are just a bunch of dead stones. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Before Christ, you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and in sins. You were a dead stone. But when you come to the living stone and the living stone affects you and changes you and gives you life, now you are no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but you have been made alive, quickened together with Christ. And you're given a new nature, a living nature. What happens to you when you come to Jesus by faith? First, you come alive. You're given spiritual life. Secondly, he says, you become part of a spiritual house. So now you are connected. You're no longer out there isolated as a dead stone. But now he has stirred up life within you. And now he has made you part of a building, a spiritual habitation. You become part of a spiritual house. You are built up. This means to build up from the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Now he's adding living stones to this living house. Do you know what this is called? It's called the church. It's called the church. It is a spiritual dwelling place of God. It is a spiritual house. And you have been given life and you have been added to and are part now of this spiritual building. This verb is in the present tense, but it's in a passive voice. It's something that has happened to you, is happening to you, and will continue to be happening to you. But it's something that God did in you, and it's something God made you a part of, not something that you did or made yourself a part of. This is in the passive voice. You are part of a spiritual house. God is doing the work. He is the builder. Have you ever seen a stone make themselves part of a house? No, the builder has to go and he has to select the stones and he has to put them in the proper place. Just in the same way in our salvation, God is the one who chooses you. God is the one who selects you. And God is the one who goes and he calls you out and sets you in his spiritual kingdom. This is who we are. This is your identity now. You're a living stone. You're part of a spiritual house, a spiritual building. This is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 16, verse 18, when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Same word as you are built up into a spiritual house. Jesus Christ is the builder of the church. He is the one who has made you a part of this spiritual house. He said, I will build my church. It is Jesus Christ who has died for the church. It's Jesus Christ who gave his blood for the church. It's Jesus Christ who raised 
who was raised from the dead and ascended into the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father for the church in order for you to become a part of the spiritual house. Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, you are God's building, spiritual house. The physical building is not the church. It's not. This is the place where the church gathers. The church is you. The church is you. I mean, we could be outside, and that would be the church. If the believers were gathered together under the preaching of the word, through the power of the spirit. That's the church. It's a spiritual house. So sometimes we get confused with that, and we grow up saying, I'm going to church or the church building. The church is you, and don't forget that. That's your identity. Our, our, our identity is not in this church building. It's not on the name on the sign. Our identity is that we are part of the spiritual household of God, united together through Jesus Christ. That's your identity. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he tells them that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, you are the temple of the living God. So we no longer have a tabernacle. We no longer have a temple. God did away with that. And now you are the temple of God. You are the tabernacle of God. You are the place where his glory dwells. And you have been made a part of this spiritual house. You are the temple of the living God. Ephesians chapter 2. I love what Paul says here in this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is exciting. This is your identity. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You have found your place. You have found your home. It's not in this world. Your home is in the temple in the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? The chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That's exciting. God has made you a part of his house. He is dwelling in this house. You are giving glory and praises to him in this house. You are the household of God. Piper says the main thing here is that we as a church are meant by Christ to be a corporate dwelling of God in the spirit. There is more of God to be known and enjoyed than anyone can know in isolation. This is why our gathering, our corporate gathering is so important. There is more of God to be known and enjoyed than anyone can know in isolation. Can you worship God on the mountaintop? Can you see his beauty and splendor out there in creation? Absolutely. And you should. Every time you go to the mountains, every time you go to the beach, every time you're outside in your yard, you see the glory of God and you worship him. But there is a joy. There is a communion. And there is something special in the gathering of believers together. This is the place that God has made that his glory, his Shekinah glory, as it did in the, in the tabernacle and the temple, should come down. There is a power and manifestation of the Spirit of God meant to be known in this gathering of worship that we do not know at any other time in isolation. He said we are not just isolated living stones. No isolated living stones. But we have been made together a habitation, a spiritual house. What else? He says, you also, not only have you been made alive and you've been become part of a spiritual house, but thirdly, 
you became part of a holy priesthood. You, brothers and sisters, are priests to God. This word is only used here and in verse 9 as we see. This word priesthood, it's the only time it's used in the Greek New Testament. You are a priest. You don't need a priest. You are a priest. Every believer is a priest unto God. Every believer has access to God. Every believer can pray to God. Every believer can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. To say you need a priest is to defame the work of the Holy Spirit. Defame. Deny the work of the Holy Spirit and deny Christ as the only mediator and intercessor between God and men. So we were passive in being part of the spiritual house, the spiritual building. But this speaks of us being active. You are a holy priesthood. This is something that you and I are doing. We are giving ourselves in sacrifice to the Lord. The priest in the Old Testament, their job was to bring sacrifice unto the Lord. They were to take the animals and they were to take the grain offerings and they were to take everything else. And they were, their job was to offer it up as a sacrifice to God, to appease his wrath, to receive his mercy and grace, to receive his forgiveness of sins. The tabernacle has been replaced by the church. The atoning altar is replaced by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And the priests are replaced by you, those who believe in Christ. Now you offer up spiritual sacrifices to God, Piper said. So what's the purpose and result of you becoming a living stone, of you becoming a spiritual house, and you becoming a holy priesthood for you to know your identity? That's who you are. That's who you are. He says you are living stones. You are a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood but what's the purpose of this just to know your identity and say well that's wonderful i rejoice in who i am in christ i rejoice in what he has done for me and and what he has said i am that's wonderful i rejoice in that hallelujah praise god no what's the purpose of your identity it's for you to own your identity he says, you're living stones, you're a, you're a spiritual house, you're a holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Why has he given you spiritual life? Why has he given you faith? Why has he given you his word? Why has he given you the church? Why has he made you a part of the church? For you to offer it all up to God. Offer up your body, offer up your soul, offer up your heart, offer up your mind, offer up your money, offer up your time, offer up your love, sacrifice everything unto him because he's called you. Well, that's a different way of thinking about your life, isn't it? Some people have these sections of their life, work, family, church. No. No. Peter says, it's all connected. All connected. There is only service to Christ. There is only offering up spiritual sacrifices in work, in family, at home, with your friends, at your job, in the workplace, wherever. It's all connected. There is no separation of it. And we glorify God the most when we see that and when we embrace that when we own that so we don't just come to church and worship God here and then we go home and we do no worship you're worshiping something right we're always worshiping something if you're not worshiping God throughout the week if you're not worshiping him at home if you're not worshiping him at work you're missing out you're not owning up to your identity. You don't just 
You're not just a Christian when you're here at church. You're not just a Christian when you're around brothers and sisters in Christ. You are who you are in secret. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. This offer up means to put off on the altar. You need to put your life on the altar and offer it up to God. That's why we sang that song before I came up here. Take my life, take my heart, take my voice, take my money. I offer it up to you and let it be yours, consecrated wholly to you. Oh, that I would have that passion and that desire for all of my life. Put it on the altar. It's also translated to bear when talking about Jesus' sacrifice. He bare the sins of many. He offered himself up to God the Father. And this is also in the act of voice. So it is something that you are doing. And it's something that you continually do. What are spiritual sacrifices? Well, it's opposed to non-spiritual sacrifices. Right? Spiritual sacrifices. Everything that you are sacrificing is done through the Spirit for the glory of Christ. But first, before you're going to be able to offer up spiritual sacrifices, you must first understand that in order for them to be acceptable to God, they must be done through Jesus Christ. That's what he says, right? He's made you alive. He's made you a part of his spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, however you deem appropriate, however you decide to do them. No, through or by Jesus Christ. If the sacrifices which we bring aren't from and through and to Jesus Christ, they're not acceptable to God. Not. But those that are from him and those that are through him and those that are to him, they're all acceptable to God. And a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. He is glorified. He is honored. Piper says, make sure Jesus gets his due right here. He not only died for you so that you could be forgiven, he also ascended and sits at the right hand of God so that your life is a living sacrifice to him to his glory, to his honor, to his praise. So number one, the spiritual sacrifices which you're to offer up to God is your whole body, mind, heart, and soul. Your whole body, mind, heart, and soul. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. You are living stones, you are alive, you are living, you are spiritually alive, and therefore you are to be living sacrifices. Not dead sacrifices, but living. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You are putting your bodies on the altar. The Spirit of God is the flame. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everything you do with your body is to be done as an act of worship to God. Piper says. Everything you do. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God. Well, that definitely changes things for us in our life because that means the way that we work. That means the way that we do school. That means the way that we parent. That means the way that we're a spouse. That means the way that we're a child. 
do you do you have separate categories for your life? Do you put things in a box? I oftentimes do this. Family life, home life, work life. Everything I do is to be done for the glory of God and an act of worship. And I don't, I just got to be honest, I don't do that. I don't do that. But I should. And if I'm coming to Christ and I'm coming to his word, then I want to do that. And there's the desire of my heart to do it. But the music I listen to, certainly. The shows I watch, certainly. Things I think about when nobody else is around, certainly. Miss hits us where the rubber meets the road. So everything, your whole body, your mind, your heart, and your soul. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's to be the burning passion of our life. And it covers every area of life. Number two, your voice in prayer and praise. Your voice in prayer and praise. Some people think that all worship is is, is singing. That's only a part of worship. I mean, the worship service is not the singing portion of the service. Worship is the service, and the service is worship. Our talking, the prayers, the singing, the preaching is all worship. It's all worship, but it's a part of worship. And we have been called to worship God with our voices because that's what's flowing out of our heart and our mind. If it's saturated with the glory of God, it's going to come out the mouth. We're passionate. We talk about what we love. And so Hebrews 13 is a good encouragement to you. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So singing songs of worship, singing songs of thanks, singing songs of adoration, singing songs of longing. It's all worship to God. We're all communing with him, talking with him, telling him what's on our heart, trying to praise him with everything that we have. It is a sacrifice. It is a spiritual sacrifice that you are offering to God. When we pray, it's worship. It's a spiritual sacrifice to God. And he loves it when we come through Christ. It's a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. Your service to other people is a spiritual sacrifice. We have some examples of this in the New Testament. Paul was constantly on missionary, a missionary journey, and he was traveling from town to town. And he needed financial support in order to be able to do this. And the church at Philippi gave him this support. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Isn't that wonderful? When you give of your finances to the church, when you give of your finances to support the poor or the elderly, or you just help people, that is a spiritual sacrifice that is well-pleasing to your Father. And He receives it as worship. So how are you doing with worshiping God through your giving. How are you doing with that? Jesus said, As much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. 
When you give to the church, you're giving to Christ. When you help someone who's in need, you are helping Christ. When you pray for someone who's in need, you are praying to Christ. And he loves it. He loves it. Hebrews chapter 13, right where we were at. You go on to the next verse and it says, But do good to communicate. Uh, I'm sorry. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What are you communicating to others? And is God well pleased with it? This is owning your identity. Now let's go over to verse 9 and 10. Back in our text. Because Peter just, he does this here and then he gets back to talking about Christ the living stone. And then he gets back to these living stones. He gets back to their identity. And he gives them four more things, four more attributes that are a part of, to be a part of their identity. And then go up, goes on to tell them that the same reason for all these is the same reason I gave you in verse 5. It's, it leads to spiritual sacrifices. He just calls it something different in verse 9. So verse 9 and 10. But those that believe in Christ, those that are not disobedient, those that aren't rejecting Christ as the living stone, but you are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, same pattern. This is your identity. Now, what does this lead to? An owning your, of your identity is it leads to spiritual sacrifices, spiritual worship to God. You are a chosen generation that generation means race or stock. It is translated kindred. It is translated countrymen. It is translated nation. You are the chosen people of God. You are his chosen generation. Every generation is his chosen generation. Those that have been made alive by the grace of God. God has chosen you of all the people of the earth to be a part of his family. If that doesn't mean something to you, if that's not special to you, then you don't understand it. God has chosen you out of all the people of the earth to be a part of his family. And he has made you his sons and his daughters. God is your father. Jesus Christ is your brother. You have been chosen to be a part of this. It is something to be cherished Moses reminded this to the people of Israel as they were about to enter in to the promised land in Deuteronomy. Moses is rehearsing all that God has done to lead them up to going into the promised land. And now he's challenging and encouraging them. You're going to have a new place, a new home, a new identity. But there's something that you need to do when you get there. Don't forget. It's not just about inheriting the promised land. It's about living for me in the promised land. It's about trusting me in the promised land. It's about being obedient to me in the promised land. And so we have several encouragements here. And this is where I think Peter draws from. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. Go to chapter 7 and verse 6. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord thy God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Do you need to be reminded of that? You're chosen. You're precious. Not because of anything in you, but because you've been chosen by God. He's loved you. He's poured out his love upon you, his affection on you. So 
Moses has to tell them over and over again. And even when they get to the promised land, not everybody remembers it. Imagine that. And so they have to be disciplined, they have to be chastised, and eventually they have to be taken away into captivity. But God brings them back because he's merciful, he's faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 10, stay with me please. Deuteronomy 10, 15. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Even if nobody else has chosen you, even if nobody else loves you, God did. He chose you. He loves you. He set his affection upon you. That's what's important. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2. For you are unholy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. This sounds pretty repetitive. Deuteronomy chapter 26, getting down to the end. He's bringing it to a close. Verse 16, this day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments, and thou shalt therefore keep them and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast a, a vow, they have... Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his judgments and his judgments and to hearken unto the voice. And the Lord hath avouched you this day to be his peculiar people as he has promised you and that you should keep all his commandments and to make you high above all the nations which he hath made in praise and in his name and in honor that you may be a holy people unto the Lord your God. As he has spoken. Israel of old was a type and a shadow of the New Testament church. You today are the chosen generation in our day and time. You are the called out ones. You are the one who is, are his peculiar people. The people for himself. The chosen people. And he goes on to say this interesting thing. That you are a royal priesthood. Now, he already said a holy priesthood, which is a priesthood that is to be dedicated and that is to be set apart for his service. But now he calls you a royal priesthood that is a kingly priesthood. You are now kings and priests unto God. Now, in the Old Testament, the office of king and priest was separated. A king does not need to be the priest, and a priest does not be the king, and it went bad if either one tried to be the other or at the same time. One king tried to become a priest, and he was killed. But there's something special now because of what Christ has done. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the great high priest. And he has made you a kingdom of priests. Now you are royalty. Yes, you're servants, but you're royalty. And it makes me think of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When the prodigal son wasted and his life and righteous living, and he came to his senses, he said, you know what? He said, I could be just a servant in my father's house, and I'll go back, and I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. I'm no longer royalty, but I'll just be a servant. And we know he goes back, and he says, he's saying to his father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I've returned, I just want to be a servant. But before he can get it out, the father says, you're royalty, you're still mine. I still own you, you're still my son. You are royalty. Yes, you are a servant. You can be a servant in my house. But kill the fatty calf, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on his back. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are kings and priests to God. And it says this in Revelation, the book of Revelation, as John is getting a glimpse. Of the worship of the saints of God. It says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, what has he done? He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made you 
kings and priests. And then in chapter 5, Verse 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, Jesus Christ, and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. That's you. That's me. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. America has been a great nation for many years. But America is descending. America is passing away. But you are a part of a greater nation. A holy nation. A nation whose God is the Lord and who reigns over all. And this is what the people of Israel had to be reminded as they went into Canaan, a new nation, they needed to remember that God was their ruler, that God was their king, and that their nation was not of this world, but their nation was to be a holy nation, a separate nation, a called out nation. So it's a holy priesthood, it's a holy nation. Peter reminds them that true hope leads to holiness. True hope leads to holiness. Be holy as I am holy. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Peculiar is translated acquired or for his own possession. God has acquired you and possesses you for himself, for his glory, for his worship, for his praise, for spiritual sacrifices, for you to show forth his praises who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Exodus chapter 19. This is where all this is brought from. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto, unto the children of Israel. All those things that Peter says of the New Testament church. He draws from Exodus chapter 19 talking about the Old Testament church. And what I love about what he draws here from Exodus 19 is it didn't say a peculiar people. What did it say? A peculiar treasure. You are God's treasure through Christ. Through Christ. You are a rare jewel. A rare jewel. An acquired treasure. He has bought you for himself. Why? What does all this lead up to again? That you should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So knowing your identity leads you to owning your identity, which leads to spiritual sacrifices, which are praises, praises to God, a life of worship. Our whole life is to be a spiritual sacrifice to God. And as if you needed any motivation after all this, he says, don't forget, he called you out of darkness, and not only that, into his marvelous light. Don't ever forget that. You were dead, you were in darkness, and you had no hope. But now you've come in contact with a living stone. Therefore you have life. Therefore you have hope. Therefore you have an expected end. You once were not a people, Hosea chapter 1. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once did not have the mercy of God, but now you have the mercy of God. That is true motivation. You have been given everything. He has given you his best. 
God the Father gave you the rare jewel of heaven in Jesus Christ, his son. And he came and he gave his life as a sacrifice for you, which was acceptable to God, we know, because he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. He gave himself as a living sacrifice and he calls you out of darkness, places you into his light, makes you alive, makes you a part of the spiritual house of God, makes you a holy priesthood, makes you royalty, gives you a name that is above all earthly names that you could ever have, all above all earthly titles that you could ever have, a child of the king, so that you could show forth his praises. How are you doing with that in your life? At your work, with your family, at your school? In private? Are you showing forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness and placed you into his light? I don't know about you. But I'm thankful. I'm, thank, I'm thankful to God that he is merciful, he is gracious. And that he has placed a calling on my life and on your life where we can be a part. We can be a part of glorifying the Most High God, however imperfect, imperfect that it is. He has called you and he has given you the gifts and the ability to show forth his praises to a lost and dying world. I pray that you can do this by the grace of God.